Hey everyone, this is Raj. Before we begin the episode today, I just wanted to give you a quick update. Firstly, we discussed the SpaceX commercial crew launch in this episode, and while at the time of recording the launch was scrubbed, I am happy to report that the launch did happen successfully, so congrats to all of my friends at SpaceX for an amazing achievement. Secondly, our serious topic for today is a really interesting conversation on spec documents and how to use them with your team. So if you'd like to just skip past all of our banter and the fake ads, feel free to go somewhere around minute 18 of this podcast. That's about it for me. And now back to our usual programming. Maximum Bible Podcast of the Simon Podcast Network. This is Raj Malhotra, and with me here is... Todd Nutella, no relation to the CEO of Microsoft. <laughs> and today, we're actually going to talk about a few things again, right? Like like what? Well, we are on seven platforms, baby. That's pretty cool, because you can find us on Anchor. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Breaker, whoever listens to that. You can find us on Google Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, a fan favorite over here, and Radio Public. I don't know what Radio Public is, but we are there. So whoever listens to us there, I don't think anyone listens to us there. <laughs> Does anyone listen to us there? Not according to the statistics. <laughs> uh, well, either way, that is a 7x week over week growth. Todd, this hockey puck can only keep going up. There's no way it's stopping now. You do know that hockey pucks are circles, or, well, I guess technically they're a cylinder, but I think you mean a hockey stick. Okay, anyway, um, did you have a good Memorial Day weekend? Yeah, I did. Uh, my girlfriend and I went to a smaller town about an hour away and stayed in a cabin. We got kind of the first hike of the season in. There was a hot tub there. We did a lot of chilling. It was, it was really nice. What about you? It was good. It was good. Um, I uh, went ahead and had a drive up the California coast with my parents. And I got to say, I fell in love with this state all over again. You know, so much of my life is spent in cities, even with all the weekend hikes in nature. It was just good to get away from everyone. Ugh. But the problem was, I wasn't the only one who thought about this. The entire way up, Almost every main hiking trail, every waterfall, every small town on Pacific Coast Highway was packed. It was packed with cars, not just cars, Todd, people, mask-wearing hikers, campers, and ocean-viewing instant coffee drinkers. Although, to be fair, the last bit is actually my parents. I mean, it, it was similar up here in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know about instant coffee drinkers. It was probably handmade pour-over coffee drinkers, but... The second that there's any sunshine in the cities up here, people completely drain out into the plentiful and gorgeous surrounding mountain ranges. So while our hike wasn't totally packed, it was pretty active. Uh, remember that all hikes up here require some actual elevation. Otherwise, of course. it's called a walk in the woods. Once my girlfriend and I got to the top, all of the good sitting spots around the lake were taken, filled with a bunch of families and kids. It was really sad. Oh, that's sad. Speaking of getting to the top of things, Raj, who's on top and who's on bottom? <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we're just going to do a segue that way. My top is Nuclino. 
Uh, it's uh, Team Wiki that kind of just gets out of your way. It is a weird um, name, I will say, but it kind of combines as a product the best aspects of Medium. I'm sure our listeners have used Medium to write some kind of blog post where they thought they were going to get a million views. That probably never happened. Uh, and it's also kind of a dynamic document structure system in one. I, I will admit it does take a little bit to get used to. For me, it was about five or so minutes just to understand how everything's you know kind of laid out. But after that, it is crazy crazy how much you can focus on the core content you're writing over everything else i'm looking at their website here and i've got to say the cute little cloud brain icon is really nice yeah but their their tagline empower your team with the collective brain sounds very borg like from star trek a little a little creepy well, let's be clear. The Borg cubes actually do a really good job of making sure the Borg Collective has the same information across everyone. So, in a way, accurate. I mean, is that like a new product idea? Uh, here, we will come and inject neural links into all of your team, and then they can communicate perfectly and efficiently. I'm pretty sure Elon's already on that. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> on another note, I will say they, they do pass one of my most... Uh, easy low bar tests here which is they list their free plan next to their standard pricing so i can compare and tell exactly the difference between free and not free i love it is that because normally free plans now get pushed to the bottom of a web page not next to the paid plans is that what you're talking about yeah i mean or or there is no real free plan at all the only way you can find it out is first you go through the premium free trial and then after that you randomly lose some set of functionality and it degrades to a free mode uh or the free mode is like hidden deep in a help article somewhere as an faq Ugh. i mean speaking of elon i really don't think he's listening to us but i hope he isn't because let's let's be clear imagine if they gave you a tesla and they give you ludicrous mode for like the first two weeks and then they took it away why do people think this is a good business model uh <laughs> well, uh, as a segue, um, my bottom is the Bluetooth functionality on a Tesla Model X. Tesla doesn't make segues yet. They make cars, but they'll probably work on segues soon. Probably after they make that Cybertruck. Ah, yeah. So segues coming 2022, but really coming 2027 because everything's five years delayed. Uh, back to my bottom. I don't have a Tesla, of course, but my parents do. Uh, they have a Model X. They got one about four years ago. And as we were driving along the California coastline, it was damn near impossible to switch between three devices when you're playing a podcast or you want to play a song. And shameless plug, the reason all of this happened is because my parents actually got interested in listening to our pilot episode during the drive. Uh, so we have two new captive audience members. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. And what's your top, Todd? Well, I was originally going to talk about uh, the Python programming language. I am not a real engineer. Python is a language that makes sense for my brain. I use it a lot to prototype and test things. I used it this week to reproduce and prove the existence of a bug. However, during our last script review, I think you know what happened. I was eating my delicious fried rice dinner and because I'm an idiot and clumsy, I spilled it all over my office floor. And so I reached for my new top, the Dyson V7 vacuum cleaner, there to save the day. You mean the Dyson V7 because the V1 to V6 were that terrible? I don't, yeah, I mean, everybody knows at least V4 was trash. But the V7 was fantastic. I pulled it off of the wonderful wall mount that it comes with. 
and I used its extremely high power sucky <laughs> to uh, get all the rice and the rice juice off my floor. There isn't even a stain, so uh, I've got to hand it to them. They have an excellent product. It just works. It's efficient. It's powerful. The ergonomics are bad. Do you have the purple one? I do have the purple yeah, one. Yeah, we have the purple one here, too. It is It is dope. I, I will say it's pretty awesome. Are there actually other colors? I, I think so. I think there's like a golden silver one. I'm not sure. Who oh, knows? Yeah. It's Dyson. Pur- purple all the way. Hell yeah. So uh, one thing that I, I think it's really great, though, is that it's an excellent application of modern battery technology and modern like electric motor technology. It's got this super quick charging, high-powered battery and motor, and it just does the job well. But I'll tell you what's not a good application of modern battery technology. Are you about to talk about your bottom? Damn straight. I am about to switch into my bottom. I think that e-scooters are a terrible product and an just an awful place to put battery and motor investment into. E-bikes are great though. E-bikes are fantastic. I'm only talking about e-scooters here as being trash. Yeah, no, I mean, I got an e-bike just recently. Well, okay, I should be clear. I ordered an e-bike recently. It's still not delivered yet. Oh, I have three. Uh, which one did you get? <laughs> of course you have three, Mr. Pacific Northwest. Um, I got the Dutch one. It's the Van Muff S3. Um, have uh-huh. you heard of it? I have. That's the one that most tech people buy because they saw an ad for it on Instagram. I think The Verge also covered it. I mean, to be clear, yeah, The Verge did cover it, but they covered the first version. Uh, To be clear, I got it because I was in Amsterdam last year. I saw a whole bunch of them riding around, and they looked very cool and interesting. And I was like, man, I got to get me one of those. So maybe I'm the hipster, Todd. I'm the hipster who was there, who knew it was cool before it was cool. Fair enough, fair enough. It, it looks like a pretty cool bike. It's got like an automatic transmission built into it, right? And integrated lights and all that. Yeah. Yeah. See, all of those things are fantastic innovations, uh, a wonderful evolution of the bike design. I think e-bikes are just a fucking fantastic piece of technology. Scooters, on the other hand, are a trash piece of technology trying to chase after the wonderful, the beautiful coattails of the e-bike industry. And I'll tell you why. This is from Tell personal- me why. Tell me. This is from personal experience. I bought an e-scooter before it was cool, Mr. Hipster. Uh, and it wasn't the cheap, like, $200 Xiaomi off of Alibaba. It was a mid-range one off of Amazon. So there's that. And I crashed the motherfucker going down one of the hills here in the Pacific Northwest and could have seriously injured myself. And after that, I took a step back and was like, okay, how did I fall for this, this trick here? Here's the problem. The batteries are too small to be useful. They barely get a decent commute. You can get like a one or two miles reliably, and then everything else is kind of touch and go to and from work or whatever. The steering is inherently unstable, and the platform's inherently unstable. So bumps, uh, ruts in the road, any sort of... Yeah, any inconsistency in the road, and you're going to feel it. Any, yeah, anything you bump into, you're going to feel it. And it could also throw you off the platform or uh, jerk the steering in such ways to make you crash. And then you're going to go over those uh, handlebars because it's, it's just a mess. But on top of that, the brake technology is, like, awful. The one that I had was a friction brake, like the old school Razor oh, scooters. Like, yeah, 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 whoa. Yeah, so you, it was just a metal fender pushing on a, on, a device, on a wheel turning at 20 miles an hour, which is obviously insane. How long is that wheel going to last you? <laughs> That's well, I, that's the other problem. There's a couple of articles floating out there about the economics of the e-scooter industry. And s- spoiler alert, it doesn't check out. They're like trash devices that fall apart before they generate a return. Oh my God. 
But uh, I really want to emphasize this brake technology problem. So bicycles have like 700cc wheels or 26 inch wheels or whatever. You can have disc brakes, like nice, modern, safe technology that'll bring you to a stop downhill in the rain. E-scooters use friction brakes or like shitty imitations of drum brakes or some other crappy brake technology. And you just, it won't, it's not going to stop. It's not going to save your life. Yeah, I mean, I will admit, you know, I was one of those people who did use one of those lime scooters or bird scooters or skip scooters or spin scooters or, I don't know, uh, jump scooters. Uh, you can tell <laughs> I live in San Francisco. Uh, and I was definitely one of those people taking it up one of SF's many, many hills only to look like a tool because I was going slower than people that were walking. Yes, that happens here. If you ride one of those up a hill, you are not going to go any faster. Uh, and I'll admit that sometimes I'm just too busy to reply to all those damned recruiters. Do you have anything to say about that, Raj? That I do. This episode is brought to you by Zap Recruiter. Are you a manager at a company getting bombarded with emails from people wanting to be your next best external recruiter? Do you really have time to say, eh, no, thank you, uh, but we are good for now, uh, in a snooty French accent, of course? Because let's face it, even though your team could probably use that extra developer or analyst, you just don't have the budget. So get ZapRecruiter. With their patented process, ZapRecruiter will invade your inbox daily at 6 p.m. using advanced AI to politely send a reject email back out. It starts with Dear Recruiter. Generic, of course. No actual name. Thanks for wanting to work with our company. We regret to inform you that we've decided to pass on your services at this time. And then the email will go on to say how much your company's valued them for reaching out, that your company wishes them best in their search for a new client. You know, let them get a taste of their own goddamn medicine by getting Zap Recruiter. It uses AI because, let's face it, saying that the service is just going to use a keyword search and send an automated email right after wouldn't have gotten them that sweet, sweet VC money to pay for this fake ad. ZapRecruiter, your virtual mosquito repellent-like solution for annoying recruiters. Not to be confused with ZipRecruiter, which is an actual real company providing an actual real service. And now it's time for This Week in... Elon? I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I guess technically, we were going to talk about space, and Elon does space stuff. Elon does do space stuff. Yeah, uh, the, the main thing that I did want to talk about was because we uh, were supposed to have yesterday, at the time of recording, uh, the world's first private entity space launch with people on it. And yeah, sure, you can imagine that the space shuttle was built by private contractors, blah, 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 blah. But this is the first time a private company in one single fucking factory or two factories, depending on if you count McGregor, Texas, was going to launch two people to the International Space Station. Unfortunately, by the time you listen to this, it will have either been a success or a failure. Uh, hopefully a success because the launch did get pushed out to the Saturday or Sunday after Memorial Day weekend. Either way. It's a damn wonderful time to be reminded that we live in 2020, especially with all the bullshit, especially with all the COVID. The future is here, man. Right, Todd? You feel me? I do feel you. And in fact, I have some opinions. Of course you do. Honestly, like, that's what this podcast should be called. Let's just rename it. It's a, it's a second episode. Todd has opinions. Welcome to Todd has opinions. Todd, what are your opinions? 
No, uh, I just think, so I work in software. I have always worked in software. I, I presumably, conceivably, always will. Um, however, I think that hardware is super cool and super interesting. And the stuff that SpaceX is doing with building rocket ships, literal rocket ships, uh, Starlink is another thing they're working on. Yeah, right? yeah, they are. Yeah. That is their uh, low Earth orbit satellite internet service, mm -hmm. uh, primarily for backhaul, but also can be used in developing nations too. The car stuff that is coming out of Tesla, and I don't want to make this sound like an Elon fest because I think he's a little cray cray, but uh, I think the production of actual things and hardware is really interesting. The world isn't done inventing stuff. A lot of us, it feels like we've moved on to only uh, thinking about innovating or investing in software solutions, but something that just drives me crazy is how most software solutions are like, how can I get a pizza for me to be faster? And should I make it a pizza subscription service or a pizza future options trading service back security that has a built-in payment app i don't with blockchain don't, with blockchain with a blockchain something yeah uh which is fine i guess but just rocket ships are real you know yeah. cars are real and so anyone who works on hardware i am a little bit jealous of you it's some cool stuff yeah, well, it looks like you all who currently do work on that kind of hardware have Todd Nutella's seal of approval. I will admit that I have lost said seal of approval because I used to work for one of those Space 2.0 satellite companies here in the Bay Area. I no longer do that. Uh, but you know what? I like it. Bring back the old school way of building things. Speaking of, Todd. This episode brought to you by Newish Old Essential Goods. Comfort, style, function, price. You can have it all when you didn't really invent anything new. Household items don't have to be commodity and affordable when you can pretend like you have a new idea and put an ad on Instagram. Their unpatentable technology combines techniques that have existed for hundreds of years, like spraying wool with a waterproofing chemical, weaving fabric in a certain way, or putting hinges on sunglasses. They promise that their goods are probably like how they advertise them, and they will definitely last. Long enough to buy another pair next week, but it will come in new colors. It's not subscription, it's obsolescence. Don't wait, act now to look like that folder of influencer screenshots you've saved to your phone. Just go online and look up noeg.co. That's newish old essential goods. So Todd, today's serious topic is about writing specs or specifications. Oh yes, the lifeblood of our role. Documents no one will read, but everyone wants us to write. <laughs> but yeah, but like this takes many, many different forms, right? Amazon religiously does something called a PR FAQ. Uh, it's kind of where you write a press release as if you already built the thing and you're about to release it to the world. It's good, you know, because it makes you force uh, yourself to think about all of the different kinds of people that will benefit from the thing that you just built, how mm -hmm. they're going to use it, all that fun stuff, how they can access mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I get it. Salesforce kind of has the V2 mom situation, very much the same thing, but with mm -hmm. a different set of acronyms, I guess. Uh, <laughs> some companies do the traditional PRD, MRD thing, which is a product requirements document or a marketing-based requirements document, respectively speaking, and so on and so forth. But Todd, um, I've just kind of rambled way too many acronyms. So can you quickly explain what the hell the purpose is of writing such a spec document in the first place? I absolutely can. I just have to add one quick anecdote. Where I work, we just have specs. We also do other types of documents. 
but we have over the course of the last six years gone back and forth between having a template for a spec and not having a template and it is like a religious war on the order of vi versus emacs oh my god so yeah so what is a spec it's pretty simple. It's supposed to be a document, preferably not too long, reasonably detailed, that describes exactly what you're building and why. Well, what you want to build, right? Well, exactly what you want to build and why. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's, for okay. example, Raj, do you like dogs? I do. I love them. I mean, my roommate's Great. got one. Quick example spec. I want to build a doghouse because I want my dog to be able to sleep inside away from the rain when it's warm, but he can't be in the house. So a spec would write what we're building, a doghouse, might even include a light sketch or drawing, and then it would list out the reasons, like uh, often in the form of user stories, but not always, why the dog needs to sleep in a doghouse. Also, because, you know, your girlfriend's going to get mad at you and you might get sent to the doghouse. So you got to make sure you future-proof that baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it's a fair point. Specs often list out multiple user scenarios or help prioritize them if there's multiple primary like the dog or the human need to be able to sleep in the doghouse uh which might change the requirements a bit but you would list all that out and so based on the why you'd have the what sometimes it would include things like user research to help back what you're trying to do but in general it's that simple the what and the why okay well then how do they get used in action ah well so as with most things in reality uh theory and practice are quite different um, so I want to preface the rest of this conversation really quickly. I don't think I have all the answers. I'm certainly not a 55-year industry veteran who's seen it all and has been through multiple project management styles and things like that. But I've been a PM for a little while, and uh, I think that nobody reads specs. That's, that's depressing. I mean, it is depressing, but it's also a bit too real because... All right, you know what? Fine. Let's have that conversation today, right? Because there is the idealist, you know, out there who's going to be talking about, quote, unquote, what we're supposed to do, right? It's a way that people tend to wear rose-tinted spectacles on theory versus what actually happens, right? And so perhaps a good practice is going to land somewhere in the middle. I've faced a lot of similar things when I write a long PRD. And when I say long, I only mean like three to five pages. I don't mean 15 it does kind of fall on deaf ears, and I've had to present it to the team in the form of a slideshow sometimes, right? Forget it. Like, not even my own team sometimes. Other teams around me, above me, to my leadership. And it does feel like a waste of time sometimes to write all this out uh, for no good reason, it feels sometimes. Of course they're a waste of time. Hell, I'd even say 99% of the time they don't do what they're intended to do. Well, I want to be a part of the 1%, man. How do we do that? Let's talk about that. So I've been thinking about this a lot, and not just because it was our topic for today, but because I've been writing a lot of docs lately. Uh, and actually, the other PMs on my team have also been writing a lot of docs lately. And I've seen some behaviors in the last few weeks. I think two, two main issues come to mind for me. One, the idea of commentary versus discussion. And okay. two that the PMs themselves don't engage with the how as much as I think they should, which means the spec doesn't have the how, or if it does, it's in the wrong context. And so let's talk about that first point. Okay, let's talk about it. Uh, there's something at uh, where I work, a concept called 
uh, Seagull Design. Do you have any guesses what that is? No, no. <laughs> I was so, going to make something up. No. So uh, you have a, a UI or some UX flow or something like that. Uh, generally, with a bunch of people who have thought about it deeply, they've probably been through at least an over-the-shoulder usability test or something like that with a customer or a customer proxy. They've got a couple of design ideas they've iterated. Now they're sharing it with a larger group. These other people have absolutely no context at all, and they just shit all over the design. <laughs> like seagulls got it. in. Like seagulls. Got it. Got it. Shitting and flying out. Got it. I think that same thing happens to specs that PMs write most, if not all, of the time. Think about it. You spend hours, days, weeks, and occasionally months writing a document. So you have someone who spent, you know, a crazy amount of time and energy invested in a particular document. They've thought through a lot of use cases. Maybe they've done a ton of research. They have a what and a why really well structured. And then they share it out to a bunch of people who probably haven't been thinking about this at all. They probably didn't read it before the meeting. They show up. They, As they're reading it, they add a comment that's probably answered later in the document. And they just fucking pepper this thing with tons of little comments. And a lot of them are like, well, what do you mean here? Oh, I would have said it this way. Are you talking about this? Uh, or they have some sort of agenda that they're bringing to the document. So if they're from another team, everything is being reviewed through their context, which might be what you're looking for in terms of a good discussion. But also a lot of the comments are like, oh, well, we think this. And it's like, that's great, but I didn't ask, you know, at this point in time, what you think about this thing. And so you get to the end of it, and then it turns over to the person who wrote the doc, and they now have literally 100 comments from five different people, most of which are useless or not particularly productive. And so instead of having a discussion advancing the art of the thinking, like, oh, is the what correct? Is the why correct? Do we have other what's? Do we have other why's? Most of it's spent debating the document itself, or I've seen it devolve into debating the document okay. itself. Um, pause. I think you and I get this, so I'm going to try to break it down a little bit because we've been speaking in abstracts a little bit. So. Do you mean the following? And correct me if I'm wrong. First and foremost, commentary to me seems like what you were primarily complaining about, where it's passerby people saying something just because they want to say something or because they feel the need to write something in a document, whether it's relevant to them or not, whether they care to even get a response to it. You know, it doesn't really matter to them. They just want to write something in a document. I'm guessing that's what you mean by commentary. Yeah, absolutely. I can make them feel good that they like, you know, quote unquote contributed, right? Um, uh -huh. sure. That's like the worst form, but it definitely happens. <laughs> sure. Uh, and then there's the discussion part, you know, uh, of the commentary versus discussion, where I can understand that it's a different team who's going to say, oh, hey, like, I see that you want to work on this thing. It seems that we might also work on this thing, too. So instead of doing something redundant, how can we make sure that, like, either we split responsibility to not do redundant stuff or I take over some things and then, you know, you can focus on this other thing. So that it's a productive discussion of division of labor or division of work, task, deliverables, whatever. Uh, that's, I would put under the bucket of productive discussions. Like, is that I fair? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Now go ahead. Uh, the second point, so I, th I think we kind of understand this commentary versus discussion. Yeah. The second thing that drives me crazy, and it, and it involves discussion as well, and perhaps it's a reason why discussion isn't as good as, as I would like, but PMs don't think about the how as much as they should. 
Well, I mean, that's normally because lines get drawn, right? Like whether it's organizationally speaking, right? Or it's mm-hmm. it's different team members coming in from other places, other companies, whatever. And normally it all comes down to, <laughs> normally it normalizes to um, the following. Product or marketing or product marketing or product or whatever uh, defines the what. Maybe they get to define the why because they're the closest to the customer or something like that. Uh, engineering gets to define the how because engineering is responsible for implementation. Uh, and then, you know, depending on what company you're at, product again or project management defines the when to deliver or when to push to prod uh, of what you've built, right? Like that, those lines are going to be put in place whether we like it or not. Oh, absolutely. But that's kind of the point slash the problem. I guess it's it's, it's two sides to this. Yeah, okay, explain. Uh, so the the spec has got, you know, all of these wh words in English. We have the who, where, what, when, why, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, let's let's make it a little more concrete for our listeners. So let's just make up a product on the fly here. What what are we gonna build, Raj? Uh, we're gonna build a better Facebook. A better Facebook. Okay, what makes it uh, different enough from Facebook to to be it's worthwhile. not gonna suck it's just kidding just kidding just kidding let me actually let me get you a bit more context so this is productive um, we need to write a prfaq first no we don't need to do that all right <laughs> be quiet um we want to build a better facebook because what's going to make our thing different is that we're going to share some of the ad revenue with our users the user base because we feel that ads are probably going to be part of our ecosystem for a while, whether we like it or not. So let's make it so that not only is it free to use the new Facebook, if you will, uh, but that people actually get some uh, money out of being able to use the platform and not like, you know, stupid blockchain based tokens or something, actual money okay, that they yeah, can use so, to buy ice cream. All right. I got you. And other so, things, <laughs> we're, but mainly our, ice cream. <laughs> our what is an ice cream based social network with ad uh, revenue sharing and the why is because um, we don't want to charge users directly so we know we need to have ads but we know that users hate ads so if we share the revenue we think we can bribe them into dealing with our ads okay yeah. so we've got a what we've got a why maybe we've done some user research that proves that uh, people love ice are, cream yeah they love ice cream and they're willing to be bribed cool so we'd write up a spec it talks about this what it talks about this why and then we have to start breaking down smaller what's the like actual feature the mvp the order of features that we're going to build our betas whatever right if we don't understand how if we don't understand the cost associated with different features and decisions how can we prioritize that list if you don't understand the how as a product manager deep enough then you're just making shit up when you okay. write that MVP. Right. Okay, 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 okay. I, I like where this is going. Um, I will say there are two things at play here. Uh, and it feels like this is the product manager's version of what the consultants do, the rule of three. Uh, three things to respond to that, Todd. Uh, no, it's two things, Todd. Whatever. Um, one of the first things that comes to mind is that when an engineering team doesn't create an inviting atmosphere to really convey to their product person, right? Um, what are the trade-offs? 
to build one thing versus another, and they kind of go off into a silo, this becomes a problem, right? Because there are deep design architecture decisions, and some engineering organizations feel, nope, the PMs don't need to worry about this. And you know, sometimes the PMs don't feel that way either, but it creates long-term problems, especially when there is a future-proof design process that probably needs to be put in place uh, in order to build something good like an ice cream based social network. I don't know how we got to that, but I guess we got to that. Um, but let, let's take a hard look at ourselves too, right? Like I, I started mentioning this just a second ago, but like there are product team members that I've worked with that I'm sure you've worked with that I'm sure you and I both know today and they're probably going to hate us for mentioning this, but let's have this conversation. When a product manager does not build the right trust and rapport with an engineering team to have those deep dive discussions that are not prescriptive, right? That are exploratory. You're, you're otherwise not being a good PM. Like, clearly, we can all admit that no one wants a backseat driver that's going to tell the engineers, um, by the way, are you sure you want to use an array here instead of a list? Um, but if you're not going to go deep enough to understand how this is going to impact future decisions, fuck it, like, maybe you don't care about yourself, but how about other people? Or I guess maybe if you don't care about yourself, you don't care about other people. But <laughs> um, other PMs, other teams, or maybe the business in general, the company that's paying you money, will have mm -hmm. a future negative impact based on what you're going to build. Oh, it's absolutely. up to you to actually understand that as you're going to go and build whatever the hell you're going to do. Oh, I, absolutely. Uh I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of points to hit there. This one, everyone should be able to understand. If the product manager is not informed enough on the relative cost of different operations, then they're literally just throwing darts at the wall and making shit up when it comes to prioritization. Yeah. So that one, everyone should be able to get on board with. And generally, it is standard practice to like the engineers go and swag something and then the PM sort of looks at that. At least that's the theory, right? The product owner is supposed to take in those inputs and evaluate the backlog order. But what frequently happens in my experience is, yeah, sure, you write down on the document that like this is a medium and this is an extra large, and then you just have an MVP with an immovable cut line anyway, and you're just going to fucking march towards that MVP, and the engineers have to make it work. And I think that might be the wrong decision. There's probably a more efficient or better ordering that you're leaving on the table just because the two teams couldn't communicate. And I've seen this from both sides. Like many PMs don't think it's their job or their problem to think about this stuff. And many engineering teams think it's not the PM's job or not the PM's problem. And so, you know, I've seen both sides sort of cause it, but I think it's a hundred percent wrong. I think it's one of the most incorrect things in our product management teaching. And I will give a couple of good examples. Again, uh, the rule of twos. I get the it. Rule this of is two. the PM thing. Yeah. A sister team. Uh, or a team in another org that uh, I work with. Um, I don't work with them a lot directly, but some people on my team do. They're going through a re-architecting of the search experience. And so my team uses one search technology. They maintain the primary search technology. We kind of went off and did our own for MVP deadline reasons, right? Okay. Um, and now they're you migrating. You almost triggered me, by the way, but okay. That they're they're moving to a new system and then they they want to suck our stuff up so it's all in one search index. Okay, that makes sense. That's great. When they're trying to communicate their plans, I've seen them write four or five different documents that all say the same thing slightly differently, trying to communicate the points. 
of how they're doing their rollout. And I think one of the issues is they're trying to hide the details. Like they're trying to hide that how detail. And so what it looks like is like one quarter of the user facing feature is like search works. And people are like, but doesn't search work today? What are you talking about? What they really should just say is be honest. Like we are in four quarters going to be able to do far more advanced stemming and uh, alternative spelling matching. Okay, great. Next quarter, it's all backend work. Like you don't have to go super technical, just say it's all backend work, right? Yeah. And just like, that's how it works. But because people don't communicate across those boundaries and they try and hide the lines, I think it really has blurred that timeline. Some of those meetings have been hilarious. Um, but then another issue Actually, is, you know what? Can I stop you here? Yeah. I got to ask you a pretty big question. Can we expect all PMs to be technical? No. We do not need all PMs to be technical. But I think it is the one of the most important responsibilities for every PM is they should be an expert in whatever it is they're working on. If you are the authentication PM, you damn well better understand SAML, Kerberos, two-factor auth, SSL, all of the related technologies, you don't have to be able to code that shit from scratch or anything, but you need to understand what they are and have good, um, a good sense of what systems apply when you're making cost-benefit analysis analyses or whatever, right? Uh, yeah, if you're writing, uh, another example is if you're like the PM for a machine learning prediction service or something like that. And you're writing the ten, like rewriting TensorFlow yourself because you don't trust your engineers to do it. You you've gone too technical. You've gone way too deep. <laughs> this is the classic Tropic Thunder thing. Don't go full technical. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely, I am not saying that all product managers need to be engineers. In fact, I am not a former engineer. I studied economics. That's specifically true. You are Mister Economist. Is specifically international development. Of right? course you do. But it, it's really important that the PM is an expert in what they're doing because though it feeds into those prioritization decisions. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I think what you're talking about does make sense when you have an established team or even if they're new-ish team members but at the same company. Right. The, what happens when there is a new PM that kind of just gets like thrown into the fire? Like you and I have both done that to PMs before. Uh, we've been those PMs uh, when we join new teams or companies. Uh, how, how do we deal with this? Oh, I mean, so you've this is this is a hot button for me. You've seen that five year old feature request that for some reason no one has quite gotten around to. You have a brand new PM. She's super excited to go tackle it. You put her on it. And well, how do you think that goes? <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's kind of like Moby Dick. It's like the white whale that shows up every couple of years. It's in the back burner. Uh, and then as soon as a new person comes on, oh, well, maybe they can work on it. And then boom, like they get like just brick wall to their face. Yeah. It's kind of how that goes down. And it, we just set them up to fail. And it should be completely obvious that that's what's going to happen. Because if that five-year-old feature request, which is super important, were actually easy, it would have already been done. Yeah. But we throw these new PMs at these hard problems. And I think it can, one, burn them out, cause them to switch teams. Or two, th they were the wrong PM to start with that feature in the first place. And I feel like that actually happens quite a bit. Because our career path is sort of incentivized to take on the hot new project, right? Yeah, no, and to move true. around and, and maybe yeah. we're just getting bored. We're, we're people who 
like new things, so we jump around. We obviously can't be experts in everything that we work on, but I think it actually har it can harm us if we jump around so much that we kind of become a caricature of a PM, right? Instead of being like the expert on authentication, I'm the guy who read about how you do containerized deployment once. Like, what value can you really provide to you? I team? read a Hacker Noon article on how Kubernetes works. Yeah, if if your primary product management education is Hacker Noon or Hacker News articles, yeah. Okay, so let, let's bring this back, especially the specs, right? It, what's becoming clear in this conversation, at least between you and I, is we've completely swapped the tables. Like, I was the idealist last episode, and, like, now you're the idealist, and I'm the pragmatist. And I'm going to, like, really hammer in on some pragmatism here. A lot of times, we, doesn't matter if we're writing specs to build something or trying to get something approved by budget or whatever, are answering to a higher power. And that higher power could be in the form of your own manager or some other particular organization in a company like a PMO to get you money to build the thing that you need to build. Um, mm -hmm. And that higher power just doesn't understand um, to the deep level of technicality uh, that you hopefully do uh, in order to, you know, just move things along, get things funded, get things built. H how do you deal with that? Should the spec answer for it? Oh, that's a good question. So, of course, the theory behind the spec is it's it's an alignment tool that you can use to get everybody on board. For reasons we discussed earlier, uh, sometimes it works. Oftentimes, maybe there's just a bunch of Siegel reviews, and uh, I'm not really sure if much alignment was driven by that spec. So, I, again, I, I will not pretend to have all of the answers here. Um, I will say that there are a couple of things we can do to help when answering to higher powers. One of them is to be an expert in what you're talking about. If you're the random PM who's like talking about containerized something something, uh, and the higher up is technical and he knows you're bullshitting or she knows you're bullshitting, well, that's, that's the game there, you lose. But if you know what you're talking about and you're presenting facts accurately and correctly, I've found that things tend to go very well. When you're confidently, I've had in, some interesting meetings with the CEO of the company before, I remember a really good story where like, I was in a meeting with the CEO, we were reviewing my project, and he asked about encryption, and not all parts of the plat the entire product platform is encrypted, and my little subsection is reliant on the larger platform. And there was almost a mirror uh, question asked to a different team a couple weeks ago, and I had listened out on that meeting, so I was like ready for this. And they were like, oh, I mean, you know, security is really good and stuff, so like, yeah, we should encrypt all that stuff but they don't actually have any knowledge of how to make that happen and in fact it's pseudo impossible for what they were saying <laughs> and i looked the ceo straight in the eye and i said we rely on the platform which is currently unencrypted if it were to become encrypted then we would be too but until that point we would not be now he looked at me and he laughed and he said is that an if or a when and then i said it's an if some team chooses to do it and then it's a matter of when and he laughed and he accepted the answer Obviously, he wanted the answer to be, yes, it's all encrypted, but the fact was, it's not, and that wasn't reality, and it would have been a lie, and it would have been obfuscating yeah, okay. the truth. So That's knowing fair. your shit, like, yeah, every PM knows that things should be secure, but knowing that your shit just enough to give accurate, correct answers goes a long way with higher-ups, Yeah, and they know when you're bullshitting. That's true. That's what I'll say. No, I like that. I like the that. The truth will set you free, Rob. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, 
I guess the last thing I'm going to say then is uh, what bothers me most is when a lot of teams start like dividing themselves on roles and responsibilities to either anoint themselves uh, a particular authority on something or to delegate a particular authority onto someone else, right? So mm-hmm. we already talked about one case, which is the PM just kind of puts their hands up. Uh, I don't care if they're male or female, just puts their hands up uh, and goes, uh-huh. that's not my problem to worry about. Da-da-da-da. Conversely, there are engineering teams I've worked with in the past where effectively they say, like, let us worry about the how implementation just tell us what you need and then they go away for two months or something uh-huh. to re-architect a system that already exists but they feel they can do it better and i know that you know at this point you know in the rant we should probably make a new episode about not invented here as the culture that's definitely a different new yeah. episode yeah so i'm not going to go into that much of a rant here I, let's save it for another episode and, you know just more content and hopefully more fake ads and hopefully more fake money that we can make um but <laughs> i don't appreciate the culture that fosters the behavior where an engineering team or even authoritative leaders in an engineering team uh, have the ability to go away for an extended period of time to re-architect something in a vacuum with Mm -hmm. no feedback from, forget the PM, but from anyone else who's going to use that fucking system. Mm -hmm. It boggles me. And so if I'm... I feel like we've done this to ourselves sometimes though, right? Like you, you, you made fun of the PM that throws their hands up? Yeah. But that's very real. I mean, we are no, actively told in our discipline not to care about that stuff. Yeah. So I, I think so that it's it's pointing back to the two things that you mentioned up front, right? Which is PMs, of course, like you just said, not giving as much of a fuck about the how uh, of the inner workings of what's really going to happen. And, you know, it's a thing that I'm going to take to heart as well. And, you know, I'm going to make sure that the team I work with will take to heart as well. Um, but the other part, which is like commentary versus discussion, right? There needs to be room for a collective discussion as right. a team right we need to be real with each other we Mm -hmm. need engineering teams to be able to honestly and transparently say to product people you guys are crazy this is Mm -hmm. not possible or hey we actually want to do this super audacious thing what do you think to which of course the response is going to be like uh probably not (laughs) but like at least there needs to be good effing dialogue um and so what I'm going to take away from our conversation, because I don't think we've reached to a perfect answer, but no. out of humility, I think what I can say is I'm going to do a much better job starting tomorrow to make sure that my team cares about the how, right? Uh, and I'm going to also do another thing. I'm going to make sure that as my company grows and as my team grows and we hire new PMs or we bring on PMs from another team to this team or that team to the other team, uh, that we make sure we assign roles appropriately. Uh, and also that they're set up for success. I think a lot of times the whole brimstone, you know, throw people into a fire, whatever you want to call it, the metaphor, um, is a reality bit. And we almost perpetuate it to a point. And I don't want to do that anymore. I think it's becoming very clear from this conversation between you and I that I don't want to do that. And listeners, I really hope that like maybe you can take this to heart and that if you're a PM or if you're an engineer or you're just some awesome person who likes to listen to this that knows a good PM or engineer, that like 
A, please refer them to this podcast because we would like the viewers, the fake ads and the fake uh, ice cream money, apparently. <laughs> but, but mainly, uh, I, I hope you can take some truth out of this, too, that this is a hard thing. There isn't a right answer yet. Mm-hmm. Let's just work towards that right answer. And I don't know what that is, but I'm going to be a better person starting tomorrow. And end of speech for me. And that is Maximum Viable Podcast, inspiring you to be better people. Thank you for listening, and we will be back in a couple of weeks with... Uh, no, I, I, I think you hit on a, a bunch of good points. Um, I, I'll, I'll kind of help summarize where we're going. because, like, you said, We're making the world a better place. We're making the world a better place. We don't have answers to every single question, and a lot of these are hard problems. That's why they're hard. That's why they're worth discussing. I'll say one thing that I try and focus on a little bit more now it's like when I write uh, the specs that I'm required to write that no one reads, um, I try and write them in a way that makes people care about the why. Uh, I, I emphasize it more than a traditional spec sometimes does. I think specs often focus on the what a lot because you end up listing out all the user stories. And yeah. yeah, the user stories have the why built in. Yeah. But I actually have an intro now to everything that I write. So it's like introduction. This is the way that the world works today. This is why we want to change it. And then this is the details of what we're going to do to change it. And then I do include implementation notes, not to the absolute minute, you know, Java class level of detail or anything like that. But like, hey, uh, a lot of stuff I work on is performance. And then I say, this matters for performance because of this. We have to change this, which impacts this experience. And, you know, it seems like you're crafting a good story. Ah, Boom. Call back to the previous episode. Call back. So try try and structure your docs so that people read them. Like thing number one is make them readable. Even though I claim that no one reads them, you've got to try and make them read them because you really want to get to that point about the good discussion. And then the other thing that we can focus on is being a product manager in many ways is about discussions with lots of different people. I think we can choose who to have our deep discussions with and who to have the polite discussions with. And the people you oh, should be having... Oh, that's a good your, way to put it. Oh, my God. I'm going to steal that. The people that you should have your deep discussions with are the people who are experts in something that you have or need. So mm-hmm. your engineering team is an expert yeah. on what you have. Yeah. The dependency is a team that you know is expert in something you need. And then, you know, you can communicate up and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it, it'll go better there if you build good rapport. And then the final thing is let's stop throwing new PMs on just the gnarly trial by fire issues yeah, and, and features. It's terrible. I've seen so many of them burn out before they basically start their career. And it's just really sad. Yeah. Um, I will say we also could maybe be a little more choosy about the features that we volunteer ourselves for. I, it's it's fighting our basic nature as PMs very often type A, like, yeah, I want to get the new product. But reflect. Maybe there's someone in the company you know where this new feature product is up their alley and they should work on it and let them run with it. Uh, let other PMs have a, a shot at glory and stuff like that, I think, will help a lot too. I, I like it. As idealistic as that is, I, I, I will... Um... It can I be mean, admitted. All... It can be admitted, right? That there's two things. You and I are both speaking from a position of privilege, right? Because we've gone through that bullshit already. We're at a fairly senior stage within our career. I um, delivered my bullshit feature. 
I wrote code back in the day. Uh, yeah, no, I got it. No, I, I, I'm with you, man. I, yep, I'm with you. And this is a, this is a damn good place to end it. Uh, are you doing a readout? That is me. So uh, I guess we'll call it wraps here. Thanks a lot, Raj. I'll catch you in the next one. This episode was produced and edited by Todd Nutella, directed by Raj Maholtra, recorded over the interwebs and delivered on your podcast platform of choice, including RSS feeds. Intro music by Josh Lippy and the Overtimers. Outro music for some awesome beats by Shemaro Music and Kishore Puma. Oh, he made sushi. Nice.